Amen. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the New Testament book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. This evening we'll focus on verses 19 to 26, but we'll pick up in verse 16 together. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the law of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Now, O Lord, we pray that in the preaching of the word of Christ, the people of Christ would be edified. We pray that you would help us in this brief time to be encouraged in your word, to rightly understand it. We pray that by your spirit it would take root and be applied deeply into our souls as food for the week ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes in life there are just two options. Not all the time. Sometimes, though, in life when there are just two options, you'll see you can go this way or you can go that way. Interestingly enough, in the first couple hundred years of Christianity, many of the writings of Christians after the New Testament often were framed in such a way. This is the way of life. This is the way of death. Paul seems to lay out two stark differences in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and following. A list of sins, really, but a, a list of evidences that a person is of or walking according to the flesh. Whereas the other list, beginning in verse 22, is a list where the fruit of the Spirit is laid out. In one sense, then, Paul is contrasting living according to the works or the fruit of the flesh and living according to the fruit of the Spirit. Now, in Galatians, as we saw just this past December, Paul's main intent in writing this perhaps very first letter of his as an apostle, is to confront a false understanding of the gospel. He needs to do this because, as you recall, there are false teachers who are talking about needing to add the old covenant, circumcision, and perhaps some of the old covenant ways to what Christ has done in order to be saved. And Paul says in Galatians 5, after a glorious discussion of the gospel, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty 
by which Christ has made us free. But in speaking of liberty, he reminds us that we are at war. There is a struggle in the Christian life. This war is not without certain end. It's not as though we are fighting for our salvation. But rather, Christ, who has completely solved the dilemma of separation from God and given us salvation, has placed His Spirit within us. And we are, according to verse 16, to walk in the Spirit, remembering that the flesh, while it doesn't reign, it does still stay with us. It, it still remains with us. And so Paul discusses the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit is mentioned quite a few times in Galatians. Turn over to Galatians chapter 3 for just a moment. In verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Galatians 4, 6. A text which comes right after our December series. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Galatians 5, 5. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. The Holy Spirit is everywhere in the book of Galatians. And we are to walk according to the Spirit. This is the command. In fact, Paul says, those who have the Spirit in them are to walk by it and not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. But notice what he says in verse 17. For the flesh lusts or desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. A person who is indwelt by the Spirit is in the midst of a conflict, of still wrestling with remaining sin. But notice the hope that is there. Even when we give in to the deeds of the flesh, there is a desire within us to not do the deeds of the flesh. We do not do the things that we wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, Paul has to deal with the theme of covenant in the book of Galatians. In fact, much of chapter 4 has to do with the old covenant and the new covenant pictured there according to Old Testament kinds of persons. I've read this to you before, but in his very helpful little work, the Puritan Samuel Bolton In his work, The True Browns of Christian Freedom, which again I commend to you, if you want to understand in a devotionally rich way how to think about the law of God and the life of the Christian. He says this, It would save us a great deal of trouble to say we are free from the law as that from which life might be expected on the condition that due obedience was rendered. But take it as do many in the sense that we are freed from the law as a covenant. When we read that the law is abrogated and that we are freed from the law, it is to be understood of the law as a covenant, not as a rule. That's important because Paul has to correct on the one hand those who are saying, you have to add the old covenant to what Jesus has done to really know grace. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Christ has come and we are saved fully and completely by what He's done. But then he has to to say, you are free from the law. But in doing so, it's important to understand what Paul means and what he doesn't mean. He's not saying you're free to live however you want. Jesus has freed you from 
worrying about any kind of sin at all. You're not freed from the law as a rule, however. You're freed from the law as a covenant. And that's important. Because Paul will say, there are things that you are to do as you rest on Christ. And things that you are not to do. So remember, brothers and sisters, when we read the bold declaration of gospel grace in Galatians, Paul is not saying, you can live however you want. He's saying the same law that Christ died to uphold is a rule for us. But it is no longer the covenant we are under. Let us turn our attention then to these two lists. Verses 19 to 21, the works, or I might say the fruit of the flesh. Verses 22 to 26, the fruit of the Spirit. Boys and girls, what happens when you place a tomato seed in the ground? Well, you wait enough time, you water it. If you don't mess it up like I sometimes do in my own garden, eventually you'll get a tomato. If you put uh, a pepper seed in your garden, eventually you'll get a pepper. You see, Paul is using the idea that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, when He is at work in our hearts, will bring forth fruit. That is what He calls us to. Not to live according to the fruit of the old seeds, if you will. Look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And then He gives that list which we read just a moment ago. Some of them sexual. Uh, Some of them are related to the false worship of God or other idols. Some of them are related to heart-level issues, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions. There are several ways to categorize these sins. Of course, there are types, as I just mentioned. You could look at this list and you could, again, you could see false worship kinds of sins. Sins in the relationships that we have with individuals. Perhaps even addictive sins so to speak, kinds of sins. Sexual immorality. Patterns. Fruit in our lives because we have a root that is dead. But there are also sins that are noticeable on the outside. And sins that we're pretty good at hiding, but that nonetheless abide within us. Jealousies. You could sometimes show someone else that you're jealous. But a lot of times you can be jealous in your heart and no one know it. Notice verse 21. Of which I told you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now this phrase has the sense of continual practice, living in there, continual action, This is a habit. This is the fruit of your life. The dead seeds of a lost soul. This is not someone who is living a spirit-changed life, but who slips into one or several of these sins, even for more than a day or so. You remember 1 John chapter 3, that the person who is born of God does not make a practice of, sinning. At first glance, if you read that, you might think to yourself, well, then maybe I'm not born of God because I've sinned since I've come to Christ. But a key component 
is the kind of construction that's there, a practice of sinning, living with this kind of fruit. So, not me examining your life as a fruit inspector, but you, by God's grace, through the Holy Spirit, examine your own life. What kind of fruit is there in your life? Not what kinds of sins are occasionally there for which you are constantly repenting before the Lord, but what is the the tenor of the fruit on the vine of your life? Well, Paul contrasts the fruit or the works of the flesh with a different kind of fruit, doesn't he? He says this in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Some translations render that patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, some of this fruit is almost a one-for-one opposite of the fruit that we saw of the flesh or the deeds or the works of the flesh. For instance, outbursts of wrath in verse 20, could be compared with gentleness in verse 23. Perhaps self-control could be contrasted with adultery and fornication in verse 19. But I don't think Paul's main intent here is to give us an exact one-for-one, but to describe what the garden of a lost person's life looks like. What fruit is there? with the garden of a saved person's life, a person walking according to the Spirit. Now, brothers and sisters, it's important to note that this is singular in the original language. You know, in English, sometimes we use the word fruit in a singular way, a piece of fruit, or we use it in a plural way. There is a bunch of fruit over there. It's singular in Greek, which is important for us to note at least this. This isn't a list, like perhaps a list of gifts, or the offices list. This is just a bold statement that when the Spirit is at work in an individual, this is the fruit that you will see. It's not as though some of us have the gift of love, and others of us are very unloving, but we have the gift of joy. (laughs) Some of us are not very joyful, but, you know, we might have peace. No, it's a descriptor of what the Spirit is like. The plant that is growing in the life of a believer has this kind of fruit on it. It's fruit of, and then read the list. Love, joy, peace, and on it goes. But let's look for just a moment at each of these. Because even though, in one sense, the Spirit will be growing each of us in these in varying degrees, they are listed for us. Love. 1 Corinthians 13 is helpful for us to see what love looks like. Love, as the Lord would say, is the fulfillment of the law. Joy. A sense of an abiding rejoicing, as it were, in God. Peace. A settled trust in the midst of the conflicts of this world. Now, just already, maybe you're thinking to yourself, but there are days, weeks, or months even, where I don't feel very joyful. Or maybe you would say there are days, weeks, months even, where I don't 
feel a sense of peace. There is a low-grade anxiety there. There is a kind of restlessness that I feel. Praise be to the living God that you are more than your emotions. This isn't a list of emotions, brothers and sisters. This is a list of spiritual fruit. Joy is more than just feeling happy. Peace is more than just the absence of a bodily kind of on-edgeness. Continuing on, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. Scripture says that God is good. One of the fruit of the Spirit is that we are looking more like God. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You get this fruit, as it were, as the Spirit of God grows you. And I would suggest to you that this is fruit of the Spirit. This isn't fruit of your labor, predominantly. Notice that's crucial. The Christian life is not a life of trying to produce joy out of the dirt and dry ground of your soul. The Christian life is not trying to forge a kind of peace. No, this is, this is the work of the Spirit. This is a part of sanctification. Our confession speaks to that in chapter 13, paragraph 2. This sanctification is throughout the whole man. Our wills, our intellect, yes, our emotions and our behavior. Yet imperfect in this life. Some of you, quite frankly, will feel more joyful than others. Some of us will have more joy than others. But there is a pattern in the work of the Spirit that He is growing within us the fruit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The confession continues, There abideth, abides, still some remnants of corruption in every part. Whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. It's pretty much just a quote from our text, isn't it? But the spirit produces these things, this fruit, singular if you will, through the means of grace that he is given, that he is ordained to grow, for instance, peace in your heart as your sin is further mortified. The answer to your sin has already been given at the cross. There is no fighting to be done there. Christ has laid down His life as a ransom for many. But as the Spirit enters your heart and regenerates it, gives you faith and you respond and you are converted, a battle begins. The, the deep roots of adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, although may, uh, paid for, although dead in their claim over you under the law, although atoned for, the roots of them are still deep within your heart and soul. But the Spirit moves in and the seeds of the work of the Spirit are planted in such a way that love begins to grow, and this little stalk of love 
grows, as it were, through the tree trunks of sexual sin in your heart. The little stalk of peace and gentleness grows through the big tree roots that were outbursts of wrath and selfish ambitions. And the Spirit, by His grace, plucks out some of these things wholesale. Others of them take many, many years. But, if you were to look with spiritual eyes, and even though you may still see the roots that are dying of some of these works of the flesh, you would see the green life of the fruit of the Spirit. Please, brothers and sisters, do not read Galatians 5, 19 and following as an either-or only. Don't read them as, if I have any example of this list in my life, I'm not saved. And if I don't have this list to full perfection in my life, I'm not saved. But remember that sanctification in this life is one that will grow. As the confession says, it will be imperfect. And one of the things that we need to do doctrinally is remember that that's very different than justification. Justification is a one-time declaration of being righteous in the sight of God because of the life of another. That is never imperfect in this life or the next. You are either justified or not. But sanctification, walking by the Spirit, is a process. But if you are Christ's, if His Spirit is within you, then there will be small degrees or large degrees of this fruit. Now look at this fruit for just a moment. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, or again, patience. Think about areas of your life. This can actually be a bolstering thing in the life of a believer, even one who is struggling with assurance of salvation. You may say, but I'm not nearly as gentle or as kind as I want to be. But if you look to the promise of God first, you look to Christ first, believe His promise and believe that you have come to Him, and then you see that even in small measure, there is a growth in kindness or gentleness in your life. That is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. Against such there is no law. You know, one of the blessed realities about the Christian life is that not only is there the fruit of the Spirit in the souls of those that are Christ's, but there's a desire for the fruit of the Spirit. You know, sometimes Christy and I will have grand plans for our garden boxes. Occasionally, those plans come to slight fruition. But not only do we plant the seed and see little growth coming up out of the ground within a few weeks. We're also standing there day by day as we water it, as we check on it, desiring further growth. This is one of the realities of the Christian life. Brothers and sisters, you won't believe yourself unless there's some kind of prideful or narcissistic tendency within you. You won't believe yourself to have as much long-suffering as you could have. 
The average Christian, if you ask them, are you as good as you could be? Are you as kind as you could be? We'll have to say no. But that's a different question. Then has the Spirit begun a work in you? Do you see fruit on the vine where you didn't see fruit before? Don't you love when you see that? You think to yourself, there are things that I used to do. And occasionally, I fall into. But my desires are a little different. And I'm even seeing some fruit in ways that I didn't think was possible. It's a glorious thing. Now, what does Paul mean in verse 23? Against such, there is no law. Well, what is the such? Well, the fruit of the Spirit. Against love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and the rest, there is no law. Well, I think what Paul has in mind here is that the law doesn't condemn these sinful. And so there is no fear of condemnation that the law brings against them as there will be against the former list. Look at the works of the flesh. You could tie most, if not all these, directly to one of the Ten Commandments. The Seventh Commandment, adultery, fornication. Perhaps uncleanness, lewdness. Maybe lewdness is tied to what we do with our mouths. The Ninth Commandment. Idolatry, the first and second commandments. Sorcery, the same as well as the third commandment. Hatred, a breaking of the fifth through the tenth commandments. Contentions and jealousies and outbursts of wrath, the same. Yes, you could, you could tie most all of verses 19 to 21 to one of the ten commandments, although I, I don't think that's what Paul has in view here as much as to say, The law speaks to these, and there is a law against them. But you are no longer under the law as a covenant. In fact, the fruit of the Spirit is growing in you in such a way that against these, there is no law. There is no law to condemn these, to speak to these, to bring condemnation. Now notice what Paul says next. Verse 24, And those who are Christ's, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. In verse 25, Paul gives us a statement of something, and then he gives a command. Remember to whom he's writing. People who have been falsely taught, who are questioning, who is it that brought you salvation? Is it the Spirit or is it the works of the flesh? Are you saved by the works of the flesh, namely circumcision? Or are you saved by the Spirit? And of course, Paul's answer is by the Spirit. So, if you live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. He tells us, about our identity. And then he simply says, go live in that way. This is your name. Act like who you are. Be who you are. And then in verse 26, he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Interestingly enough, in verse 26, the command there is to not move towards conceit or pride. 
perhaps viewing oneself as not needing to live or grow in the Spirit's fruit could be an example. Well, I want to end our time in this text with just four lessons or four ways to apply this to our lives. You think this week as you are meditating on the sermons of this day about the fruit of the Spirit, pray that the Lord would be growing you in this fruit. And that if it be His will, it become evident to you. But even this week, you would see there is joy that the Spirit has wrought in my heart. The garden of my soul actually has a plant of joy in it. And I got to see it. But as we think about applying it, a couple of lessons for us. Firstly, believers fight sin by walking in the fruit of the Spirit that is growing in us. Paul does give a list of contrasts. The work of the flesh, here it is. Here's the picture. Here's the fruit, if you will. This is what the garden looks like. And the fruit of the Spirit, here's what the garden looks like. Just a few verses prior, he says, walk in the Spirit and not the flesh. So assuming, as Paul does, that the Spirit is at work in us, we are to walk in this fruit that the Spirit is forging in our lives. And the more loving we are, the more joyful and peaceful and gentle we are, the less we will have outbursts of wrath or dissensions. The less idolatrous we are, the less that there will be heresies, for instance. One of the ways that we grow in love is growing in love for the Word of God. One of the things that happens when we love the Word of God is we cling to it and then we're less heretical. (laughs) So believers fight sin by walking in the fruit of the Spirit that is growing in us. But secondly, noticing the fruit within us is a means of assurance. Notice verse 24 specifically. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now one of the things that's worth noting in this particular passage is that this verse follows after the list of fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is, then there's the list, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, you won't have the fruit unless you are Christ's. And if you are Christ's, the Spirit is in you and will be birthing and growing this fruit in you. And that means that you are a person who has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, in one sense, when was the flesh crucified? When Christ took your record upon his own body on the tree, became a curse for you, made atonement for your sins. Paul will say just two chapters earlier, that famous, famous verse, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Imagine the boldness of the gospel in such a way that a person can say, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, It's no longer me that lives. 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One of the realities of a spirit-changed person is that they belong to Christ and the flesh and its passions and desires have been crucified. The nails of the work of Christ have been driven deep into the flesh and passion and desires of our souls. And yet, as is the case in many aspects of life, it takes just a little while for the evidence to be completely seen. Brothers and sisters, we have an entire series on the doctrine of assurance available for you on sermon audio. What we're saying here is in no way a full understanding of assurance. And we must say that I would encourage you on the authority of God's Word not to look at your fruit first as a sign of assurance, but to look to the promise of Christ in moments where you're wondering, am I really a Christian? Don't first say, well, let me go outside into the garden of my soul and look for fruit. Go to Christ. In fact, as one divine has said, look to Christ many times before you look to self. But there is, as some have said, a reciprocal act of faith. You look to the promises of Christ. He says, any that want me can have me. So you say to yourself, am I coming today to Christ? Yes, I believe that I am. By faith, I'm trusting Him. Then secondarily, what do you see? Well, I I do see some fruit. Noticing the fruit within our souls and lives can be a secondary means of assurance. But thirdly, a lesson. Love, not law, propel us in our sanctification. For this, we really need all of the book of Galatians, all six chapters. But if you go back to verse 18, we read these words, If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Puritan Matthew Poole, who we often use, says this, The reason is because the Spirit is a spirit of adoption and liberty. And where it is... It teacheth to serve the Lord without fear from a principle of freedom and ingenuity. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law as a covenant. The covenantal requirements of the law, as it were, no longer apply to you. They've been met in Christ. And so your entire sanctification is not one based on, I need to be more joyful because the law tells me I need to. I need to love God more because the law tells me I need to. Yes, the law is a guide. But the law is not the fertilizer, as it were, for the fruit that the Spirit is producing in you. It's love. Love to God. Love to Christ for what He's done. You think on Christ. You meditate on Him. You meditate on His cross. His perfect law-keeping in your stead. His immense mercy. His kindness, God's kindness, which is meant to lead us to repentance. You meditate on that over and over and over, and you will see, as it were, the nutrients for your own sanctification. I think if you tend to think, 
I need to be a person of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, because the law tells me. And that is where you rest. You will be starving in your sanctification. But if you say, the Christ who upheld the law for me, loved me and gave Himself up for me, and I want to walk by His Spirit, so I want to look to, yes, His law to see what does that look like but I want to grow for the one who loved me, then your sanctification will increase. Love, not law, propels us in our sanctification. That is in no way meant to say that the law of God is not important. We read it here most weeks. We encourage you to remember that all ten commandments apply to the believer. But this is a, a guide, a, a rule for Christian living. But the law is not the basis for our growth, as it were. Christ's love for us and secondarily our love for Him and a desire to take up that law out of love for Christ propels us in our being separated from sin. One final lesson for us. We are called to live by the same Spirit who gave us life. Verse 25, Paul says that if we live in the Spirit, and you could, I think, translate that since we live in the Spirit. Since everything that I, Paul, have said for the last five chapters of, about the fact that you are not saved by keeping the law. <laughs> Who is it that has given you life? It's the Spirit. Who is it that has regenerated you? It's the Spirit. Since you live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We're called to live by the same Spirit who gave us life. What does it look like when the Spirit marks your life? Well, the orchard, the vineyard, the garden box, the farm of your soul has, over the years, the beginning seedlings, deepening roots, and even sometimes strong trees all bearing fruit. And if you were to taste of that fruit, it would be sweet and pleasant. And you would say to yourself, this fruit tastes like love. This fruit is, well, it's joy. It's peace. Some branches on the vine will be longer and thicker than others. You may even look over to one part of the garden box and think, there's only just a little bit there. Very little. But it's the fruit that the Spirit has forged in you. Well, as we consider these two lists, we're told, we're commanded to walk by the Spirit. And we're even given a description of what the Spirit does in the life of former lost pagans who are now united to Christ. He grows in them glorious fruit until they are home. And that fruit is love and joy and peace and the rest. Let's pray.
Living God, we pray that you might cause us to see the fruit of the Spirit growing in our hearts and lives. That you would both assure us of your work in our souls when we see even the small seedlings of this fruit in our lives. Help us to do so soberly, clearly. But also, living God, we pray that as we walk by the Spirit, the same Spirit who has given us life, you may, by this fruit, be further uprooting the dead yet thick roots of the other list. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name.